Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and I'll be reading from the message. They spent some time in Jericho. As Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples and a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting alongside the road. When he heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks, call him over. They called him, Hey, it's your lucky day, get up. Jesus is calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. Jesus said, What can I do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. In that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. The word of the Lord. So blind Bartimaeus is at the side of the road shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he keeps shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd, which in the Gospels, the Gospel writer usually has the crowd as the foil, as the example of folks who don't get it. The crowd says to Bartimaeus, oh, just be quiet. Do you ever wonder why the crowd said to Bartimaeus, stop it? I wonder if they were embarrassed by him. I wonder if they wanted to show the dignitary Jesus that their town had everything together and they had no problems and no poor people and no beggars and no blind people. Or perhaps they didn't want to acknowledge Bartimaeus and his blindness because his vulnerability may have gotten them in touch with their vulnerability. Or maybe they were just sick and tired of his begging because every time they walked down that street, they would have to make the decision, am I going to give something to Bartimaeus today or not? And maybe some of them had compassion fatigue, which is real. Or maybe they were tapped out and they had no more money to give and Bartimaeus reminded them every day that they didn't want to give to him. For whatever reason, nonetheless, he persisted. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus called him over and asks him a wonderful question. Jesus sees that he's blind, knows his predicament, but he doesn't presume that Bartimaeus wants to see. 
Because do you realize the ramifications? If Bartimaeus begins to see, Bartimaeus is going to have to get a whole new line of work. He's dependent on the goodness of strangers, the goodness of his community. This is Bartimaeus' identity. Jesus does not presume that Bartimaeus wants to give that up. So he asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see Bartimaeus is in touch with his infirmity, his vulnerability, his challenge, and the whole world knows it. It's harder for we who have maladies that you can't see, infirmities that we hide, vulnerabilities that we don't want anyone to know. It's harder for us to say exactly what we want from Jesus. But even for those of us who can see with functioning retinas, we have other blindness. And perhaps it may muster every bit of courage for us to say, like Bartimaeus said, Lord, I want to see. In fact, I invite you to say this with me. Lord, I want you to see. And notice how difficult it is for us to say. Let's say this together. Lord, I want to see. Do you feel the vulnerability of just saying that? It presumes that we don't all see things 2020. It presumes that we don't fully understand presumes that we have blind spots. Would you say that again with me? Lord, I want to see. So, Jesus says, go. Your faith, your faith has healed you. This is not some magic from God. Jesus is saying, your faith, Bartimaeus, Your ability to trust God has healed you. It's a wonderful image of who God is. God apparently loves to be with people and hear people who aren't heard. Jesus seems to go to the person who the crowd is dismissing, writing off, marginalizing, and Jesus, the face of the living God, says, I see you. You are of deep and inherent worth to God. Christians, that may be a clue of who to pay attention to in our society. Who has the crowd written off? Who has the crowd marginalized? Who has the crowd dismissed? Because that's apparently who Jesus wants to be present to. Jesus heals Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus' faith heals him, and he can see. Sometimes being able to see clearly the way God wants us to see 
is not easy. In fact, sometimes it's even painful because if we are shown our blind spots, it's often embarrassing. It often demands a lot more of us. It calls us to change. It calls us to see people who are hurting. And we would rather not see that. I'm reminded of a poem by Audre Lorde, who writes a reflection on when she moved from wearing glasses to wearing contact lenses. She writes, Lacking what they want to see makes my eyes hungry and eyes can feel only pain. Once I lived behind thick walls of glass and my eyes belonged to a different ethic, timidly rubbing the edges of whatever turned them on. Seeing usually was a matter of what was in front of my eyes matching what was behind my brain. Now, my eyes have become a part of me, exposed, quick, risky, and open to all the same dangers. I see much better now, and my eyes hurt. The closer we follow Jesus and learn from his heart of compassion, his love for those who are hurting, our eyes will begin to hurt. Our heart will begin to hurt. And that may be exactly where we need to be. This is one of the gifts of being in Christian community and being part of this Chatham United Methodist Church. This is a place where we can come and acknowledge that we have blind spots. A place where we can be honest with our own hurts, our own vulnerability, and brothers and sisters in Christ can journey with us. And this is a place where God continues to nurture our hearts to care for those who are downtrodden, those who are hurting, those who are on the margins, those who the crowd dismisses. And we can serve them together. I close with a story that I was thinking of paraphrasing, but it's too good to paraphrase. It's from Robert Fulgham, a wonderful writer, pastor, philosopher, storyteller. And so, make yourselves comfortable. This story is worth savoring. This is from his book, It Was on Fire When I Lay Down on It. He's also the author of All I Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. Some of you know that book. He writes, are there any questions? 
an offer that comes at the end of college lectures and long meetings, said when an audience is not only overdosed with information, but when there is no time left anyhow. At times like that, you sure do have questions like, can we leave now? And what the hell was that meeting for? And where can I get a drink? The gesture is supposed to indicate openness on the part of the speaker, I suppose. But if, in fact, you do ask a question, both the speaker and the audience will give you drop-dead looks. And some fool, some earnest idiot, always asks. And the speaker always answers by repeating most of what he already said. But if there is a little time left and there is a little silence in response to the invitation, I usually ask the most important question of all. What is the meaning of life? You never know. Somebody may have an answer. And I'd really hate to miss it because I was too socially inhibited to ask. But when I ask, it's usually taken as a kind of absurdist move. People laugh and nod and gather up their stuff, and the meeting is dismissed on that ridiculous note. Once, only once, I asked that question and got a serious answer one that is with me still. First, I must tell you where it happened because the place has a power all its own. It's in Greece, near the village of Gonia, on a rocky bay on the island of Crete, sits a Greek Orthodox monastery. Alongside it, on land donated by the monastery, is an institute dedicated to human understanding and peace, and especially to rapprochement between Germans and Cretans. An improbable task, given the bitter residue of wartime. This site is important because it overlooks the small airstrip at Malimi, where Nazi paratroopers invaded Crete and were attacked by peasants wielding kitchen knives and haysides. The retribution was terrible. The populations of whole villages were lined up and shot for assaulting Hitler's finest troops. High above the institute is a cemetery with a single cross marking the mass grave of Cretan partisans. And across the bay, on yet another hill, is the regimented burial ground of the Nazi paratroopers. The memorials are so placed that all might see and never forget. Hate was the only weapon the Cretans had at the end, and it was a weapon many vowed never to give up. Never ever. Against this curtain of history, 
in this place where the stone of hatred is dark and thick. The existence of an institute devoted to healing the wounds of war is a fragile paradox. How has it come to be here? The answer is a man, Alexander Papaderos, a doctor of philosophy, teacher, politician, resident of Athens, but son of this soil. At war's end, he came to believe that the Germans and the Cretans had much to give one another, much to learn from one another. They had an example to set. For if they could forgive each other and construct a creative relationship, then all people could. To make a lovely story short, Papaderos succeeded. The institute became a reality. The conference ground on the site of horror, and it was in fact a source of productive interaction between two countries. Books have been written on the dreams that were realized by what people gave to people in this place. By the time that I came to the Institute for a summer session, Alexander Papaderos had become a living legend. One look at him and you saw his strength and intensity, energy, physical power, courage, intelligence, passion, and vivacity radiated from his person. And to speak with him, to shake his hand, to be with him when he spoke, was to experience his extraordinary electric humanity. Few men live up to their reputations when you get close. Alexander Papaderos was an exception. At the last session, on the last morning of a two-week seminar on Greek culture, led by intellectuals and experts in their fields, who were recruited by Papaderos from across Greece. Papaderos rose from his chair at the back of the room, walked to the front of the room, where he stood in the bright Greek sunlight of an open window, and he looked out. We followed his gaze across the bay to the Iron Cross marking the German cemetery. He turned and made the ritual gesture. Are there any questions? Quiet quilted the room. These two weeks had generated enough questions for a lifetime, but now there was only silence. No questions, Papaderos swept the room with his eyes. So I asked, Dr. Papaderos, what is the meaning of life? The usual laughter followed and people stirred to go. Papaderos held up his hand, stilled the room, and looked at me for a long time, asking with his eyes, if I was serious and seeing from my eyes that I was. 
I will answer your question. Taking his wallet out of his hip pocket, he fished into a leather billfold and brought out a very small round mirror about the size of a quarter. And what he said went like this. When I was a small child during the war, we were very poor and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found the broken pieces of a mirror. A German motorcycle had been wrecked in that place. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but it was not possible, so I kept only the largest piece, this one. And by scratching it on a stone, I made it round. I began to play with it as a toy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine, in deep holes and crevices and dark closets. It became a game for me to light into the most inaccessible places I could find. I kept the little mirror, and as I went about my growing up, I would take it out in idle moments and continue the challenge of the game. As I became a man, I grew to understand that this was not just a child's game, but a metaphor for what I might do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of light, but light, truth, understanding, knowledge is there and it will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into dark places in this world, into the dark places in the hearts of men and women, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of life. And then he took his small mirror and holding it carefully, caught the bright rays of daylight streaming through the window and reflected them onto my face and onto my hands folded on the desk. Much of what I experienced in the way of information about Greek culture and history that summer is gone from memory, but in the wallet of my mind, I carry the small round mirror still are there any questions? Friends, children, this is the gift that I told you about in the time with young Christians. 
I want to give each of you on the way out of church today one of these small round mirrors. And I invite you to put it somewhere where you will be reminded that Jesus, the light of the world, calls each of us to be mirrors that reflect light into dark places. And we don't need many reminders. of how much darkness there is in our world. In light of synagogues being shot up, people killed by the evil of anti-Semitism, bigotry, fear, and violence. In a world where dissenting voices are sent bombs in the mail to intimidate and silence. In a world where just yesterday a white man tried to get into a predominantly African-American church to kill worshipers, couldn't get in, and ended up going to a store where he indiscriminately killed African-American people out of his blindness of hatred and racism. Friends, we may need to reflect light anywhere we see and experience intimidation, bullying, hatred, discrimination of any kind. And that may not make us popular, but it will make us faithful. Lord, we want to see. Give us the courage we need to see, to reflect light, your light. And to stand firm on the side of the downtrodden. Amen.